1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Michael Arnett has been on the podcast before, but Michael and Bob Borland together wanted to have a conversation with me about the traditional bow hunting element of hunting. They felt like they needed to have... Their voices heard. This podcast was in direct response to the long range rifle podcast that we had with Gunworks back in 2023. And so it took us a while to get all of our calendars situated and schedules confirmed, but we finally got Michael and Bob on the podcast to articulate the traditional bow hunters' point of view. As typical with a podcast with Mike. It's a very in-depth, very thoughtful conversation. So have a listen, give us a rating on Apple and Spotify, share it with your friends, leave us a review. All of this helps us climb through the ranks of the podcast algorithms and allows our voice, our discussions, and our podcasts to reach more people. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Little Virgins, and that reason is simple: is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My, name
2: is
1: my, name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Rex, <laughs> you said something in the car to me you said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So this is going to be a We can't access it, okay? This is going to be the first podcast in which we have two technologically challenged individuals. Now, Mike, you did pretty good this time. You did pretty good this time. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it has been a little bit in terms of trying to get this squared away. And the only excuse that I know of why we couldn't square this away is that you both hunt way too much. Sure. <laughs> Not, Not enough. enough. <laughs> well, you're right? hunting way more than me when, when I get an email back saying, well, Bob's going to be out for three weeks because he's hunting. <laughs> right. <laughs> what well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Michael Arnett, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Uh, I'm sure this podcast is going to trend the same way as the last one did good honest hard-hitting discussions and conversations because the topic we're going to discuss is ah could be controversial you know people have opinions on this one specifically and Bob Borland is it Borland Borland totally messed that up Bob Borland sorry that's all good Uh... Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. This is your initiation podcast to Blood Origins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure it'll probably be my first and last, but we'll see. <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, let's int- let's introduce each other uh, yourselves. So let's start with Mike. Mike, introduce yourself, please. Uh, I'm Michael Arnett, and uh, just a bow hunter. Go by Tall Tines Archery. I, On Instagram, I build Tall Tines Archery. So custom recurves and long bows. And before that, I just a bow hunter. Should have got or you to build a um Should have got you to build a bow for our silent auction for our conservation event. Well, I've 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 given bows to auction events, so next year we maybe, got you. Okay. Well, yeah. hit me up. I got to decide. Yeah. One time, I gave one year. I gave away four or five, and I decided I have to do two only two. I got it. I got to prioritize. Maybe well, I, I, just, maybe, I maybe just make more money in in other stuff, and then I can just donate a few bows, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Bob, introduce
2: yourself. uh yeah, Bob Borland. Um, I'm uh, also just a bow hunter. I. Do volunteer for the Traditional Archers of Oregon. I'm involved with them as their field governor and the Compton Traditional Bow Hunters. I'm the chair of the hunt committee. Um, so my spare time I do, do that stuff. Yeah.
1: Both are
2: avid traditional bow hunters. Yep. Yeah, I've been I've been bow hunting since since I was twelve. I'm unfortunately forty three now, so it's been Oh, long, long 30 years, I guess.
1: You have been traditional bow hunting since you were 12?
2: Uh, off and on, yeah.
1: Yep. So I was a little kid. And today that is all you do, <laughs> is trad bow. Yep. Michael on it, that's all you do, trad bow? I wouldn't say all I do, um, but it's what I love to do, yeah. So... I like. I went on my first uh, black powder hunt this year with a percussion black powder. So traditional black powder, <laughs> not much. So we'll get into that maybe a little bit. Well, well, why don't you just start there? You know why? Why are you putting yourself into this position to just be working with a traditional type weapon? Um, because I feel like it. Makes me be a good hunter because it limits my effective range more than anything else, and in some aspects, it. I enjoy the skill and the knowledge that it takes to use those weapons, and I and I value. I value the interaction with the animal. Um, I value the challenge. That's that's, a little cliche, but I want to. I want to watch animals as close as possible and be limited as much as I can ethically be limited within, within reason. I'm not opposed to, uh, you know, any, any form of hunting, though. So Okay. Uh, I just took my wife, um, Colorado, and she shot her first antelope with a rifle. stalked within 130 yards, and to her, that was hard. You know, but we also got it done within four hours of the hunt beginning. So sometimes if you make it, I like a hunt to last just a little okay.
2: bit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, is that similar reasons for why you um, went with a, a tread bow? I I think, you know, mine's a little different. I feel like um, I grew up, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, I'm not as like earthy and as, as Mike, I would say, like I, I grew up pretty redneck, you know, um, when I was a kid in the eighties, all my dad and uncles, I mean, they rode hunted and shot a deer out of trucks. I mean, I pretty hillbilly family. And for me, it was, as I was a little kid, I was ate up by hunting and bow hunting specifically, you know, cause of all my uncles hunted and, and, uh, in the eighties out West for mule deer was incredible. I mean, I just remember all the, I mean, it was just Shangri-La. Um, so for me, as soon as I could read in the late eighties, I read every hunting magazine, every article and every bow hunter and traditional bow hunter. And, and I always was for some reason, just pulled to the traditional side. It just seemed like it was so much harder and, how, you know, how are these guys like Paul Schaefer? I mean, he's, he's killing a grand slam of sheep with a traditional bow. Like, yeah, it's cool. Chuck Adams was but man, it's so much different. And so I always was kind of like Paul Schaefer was my hero growing up and I was always pulled to that, but there was kind of a moment for me. Like I said, I tinkered with, with reekers and longbows. Obviously when I was a kid, that's, I mean, we shot like willow bows as, you know, mm-hmm. three year olds, and but. Off and on, I hunted with a trad bow through my teens, and when I got into uh, my late teens, it'd be the late 90s, um, I had a good friend of mine who wanted to go bow hunting, and he was a, a great athlete, you know, and real good hand-eye coordination, so I'm not saying anybody could do this, but I remember I was shot fingers with a compound, and he used, the releases were all the new thing, and, and I'm like, well... I don't know how to do that stuff, so I'll take you to the archery shop and have Ron, the old guy, set you up. So we go in, Ron sets him up, and this is the guy, I've gone to the same archery shop for years, you know, he sets them all up with the release and and all the gadgets of the day, which are nothing compared to now. And um, we go home, and here I am, a kid who's done nothing but shoot bows and arrows since I could literally walk. I mean, I used to get up before school and shoot my bow. Um, and I am no, no joke in a couple hours, he could shoot as good as I could at 30 yards. And I was just like, and I just remember just to myself right then saying like, this is not good. You know, this is gonna, cause, cause even at that time you heard, if you knew, if you were followed bow hunting, you knew there was a group of these old trad crusties that were a-holes that were all out there just saying the compound's going to ruin the future of hunting and and there's going to be no hunt left in 30 years. And I was always like, whatever, you know, like I love those guys and they're awesome, but I was a kid and I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening until then. And then I just, from that day on, I was like, this is not really good for the future. So for me, like I, yeah, the aesthetics of it, There's just something about not having a bunch of metal and pulleys and, and you gotta, yeah, it's got some fiberglass in it, but you're, you're not, you know, your bow and arrows are pretty similar to what we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. And I think there is like a DNA connection that's just way more, you know, when you get to kind of the philosophical side of traditional archery. But for me, what really flipped the switch was just the practical side of, wow, if, if we don't start, you know, if we don't get more people doing this, then our opportunity, like those guys are right. Like what's going to happen in the next 20 years, you know? So that was more of a reason why I picked it up totally. Cause I, I really enjoyed shooting compound with fingers and I did it for years and it was, um, You know, it was accurate. It was effective, and I was good at it. I didn't really want to switch, but I just felt like I had to. (laughs) Do you feel
1: like Bob? I'll ask this to you, and then Mike, you can follow on. But do you feel like I would say, and and maybe me being one of them, and maybe there's fault here, but I want to, I want to hear your opinion that there is a, a perception, Monica' perspective, that trad bow hunting you, you're you are setting out from the outset with the full knowledge that you will be less efficient, less effective, harvest less in that
2: method of hunting. oh, for sure it's it's a lot harder all the way around. I think it's it's uh it's a you're putting a huge distance limitation on yourself. you're putting um you know, shot opportunities There's certain angles that we just can't take that compound guys now are just crushing, um, the ability to hold your bow at full draw for an elk hunter. It's worth 150 yards. I mean, it's, it is so hard to get an elk within traditional bow range and draw at the right time and not have them sense what's going on. Like, yeah, you're definitely, um, it's definitely a lot harder. That's for sure. There's no doubt about it.
1: Mike. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Definitely. Um, in fact, I, I remember sitting in a tree. I think it was two years after I decided that I wanted to try traditional archery, and I killed a few deer with a compound. And there was a there was a part of me that what Bob was saying, I saw that coming as well. Seventeen years old, I just. I saw bow hunting heading in a very different direction and attracting, even attracting different people. <clears throat> now that's always a problem. But, um, yeah, I mean, I remember sitting in that tree thinking, can I even do this? Is this even possible? How do I get within 15 yards of a deer? I can't do it. I can get, I can get to 25. I've been to, I've been to 30. I've been to thirty. I remember counting like twenty sometimes in that season, thinking, "What? Well, how do people do this?" Yeah. And and what it was. And now I kill, you know, many, many, many deer a year. You know, it's it You know, I pass many, many, even even more. Um, and the difference was, I didn't understand the animals I was hunting, and I had to learn that. And like I said, at an intimate, very intimate level. So, and I was. 18 years old. Sure, sure. uh, Mike, when you started talking about trad hunting, I wrote it down, you said, it makes me a good hunter. And here's maybe, let's start with the controversy. Yes. Does that make everybody else that doesn't do it not a good hunter?
2: No, no, I I would say no. I would say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think there is very... I don't want to come off on this podcast like I, I mean, I don't say my, my whole family still hunts with compounds and they, you know, like I meet guys in the field. I help them out. Like I am not the, what people think when they hear me talk. Like I, I, I just think that they don't really, there is some compound hunters that, that pick up a, a traditional bow and they still just crush it. Right. But Um, I think they're just, they just haven't put in as much for the most part, you know, it's not, it's not that they're bad hunters. It's that they haven't put in the time. Like Michael said, like Michael wasn't a bad hunter back then. He just had to put in more time and, and, you know, like, and you get there, you know, I don't know how to explain it.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, um, the reason I would say that. The answer would be yes, is not because, it's because to me, the measure of a hunter is not animals tagged necessarily. And to some people, it is. Or even the status of those or size of those animals tagged. To me, the status of a hunter depends on your understanding of the animal that you pursue. And so, Am I better or smarter than anyone? No. And it's a whole new learning experience when I get to a new species in a new place. We could talk about that. (laughs) But I was forced to learn at at just such a deep level. Um, And so... I want to make sure that you're not saying, and maybe you are, but I hope... Not a, Not I hope, but <laughs> you're not looking down your nose at other hunters that do it a different way. I certainly make every effort to. But sometimes I do just a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, and look... It's, it's, to, it, just, it's hard not to at times, but... And that's what I was getting at, too. It's like, I'm not... Like, I... I you know, like, I treat every... You do a great podcast and that's what you do, Robbie, is you're, you're getting new hunters, you're promoting hunting in a positive light to all sorts of people that, you know, like haven't been there. And that's the same thing I'm doing when I have a traditional bow and I run into a guy in the wilderness and he's got a compound. I'm not an a-hole. I'm a nice guy. I'm promoting, you know, and, um, And I've had guys that I've hunted with for several days. And then they're just like, well, why do you do that? You know? And I'd be like, well, you know, why do you hunt with a compound instead of a rifle? And they give me the reasons. And I'm like, it's the same reasons, just tenfold, you know? And then by the end of the hunt, they're like, oh, I get it. And I'm going to try one. You know, most of the time they don't. It's really hard. But um, I guess that's kind of the same place I'm sure Michael's at. You know, it's like we. Well, I I think this is the key.
1: In my brain, you've and, and I'm not a trad bow hunter, so um, you have to in the trad in the trad bow in, uh, If you decide to pick up a trad bow, you have you have made a conscious decision that the goal, and, and you guys can help me here because I'm not a trad bow hunter. The goal is still to kill an animal. Every single time you go out, that's why you hunt, okay? But the chances of you killing an animal are much, much, much less. And so because of that reason, I guess the goal is to kill an animal, but the objective is different. Your objective really at at the outset is as Mike has interpreted, it's more of I value more of a deeper connection in understanding the animal, the behavior, the environment, and getting as close as I possibly can to get to an opportunity of the goal. And I would say, you know, we've talked about traditional bow hunting, which is what we love, but this applies to any limitation on the equipment of anyone to a certain extent. Uh, so this applies to rifle hunters who hunt with open sights. That cuts their range effectiveness hundreds of. Hours. And and I'm no no real <laughs> judge of that, but you know their, their ethical range could have been 700 and now it's maybe 300, maybe even 200. And the same with muzzleloading equipment. When I went on my elk hunt, and and part of the reason I did it is because I just wanted to experience a different type of avid traditional hunter than myself. It's not my thing, um, but I really enjoyed and gained a lot of respect for people that use flitlock and percussion or other primitive um, muzzleloading equipment and I hunted in a state, Colorado, that does not allow scopes on muzzleloaders. And so I didn't want to just talk about bow hunting or just traditional bow hunting. I wanted to talk about this idea that limiting equipment via limiting effective range can drastically not only improve opportunity by allowing more people into the field with the same management objectives, potentially. But it can also improve their experience because they may be able to see more animals um, with, the, with the naked eye um, because the animals are not being taken at such long ranges. Um, and they're able to learn how to get close. You know, to to value the, and this is what it really boils down to: bow hunting, and especially traditional bow hunting. um, They value when you limit yourself at that level. You value those animals' instincts. You value those animals' senses. And so, in a way that, in in a way that it wouldn't value those senses. habits if you if you go to a ranch in Colorado and hop out of the truck and shoot a pronghorn from 600 yards which is how I would wager a large percentage of pronghorn are shot Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know is there anything wrong with that no Mm -hmm. and and I, I do want to be careful that I don't um I don't have ill feelings about somebody that does that. No, no, no. I, to me, it's it's a value. It's a, there's, there's different values associated with the person's desire to hunt. Bob, anything you want to add to what Mike said? Yeah, I think,
2: and this, like I said, might tick some people off, but I think that everything Michael was talking about, if, if you ran into a bow hunter before the invention of the compound bow, Every single person, that's how they approach their hunt. I mean, look at the old Fred Bear quotes. Every day on the gram, you can see somebody, you know, it's, it's, if you, if you're measuring it and the, you know, trophy you take and not the experience, you know, he's got all kinds of quotes about that. That is what bow hunting was supposed to be. And it's changed, you know, over the last 40 years immensely. Um, And so, it, it, and like Michael said, with the opportunities, our opportunities out west are dwindling because our success rates are shooting through the roof. We got overcrowding and overharvest and over-the-counter elk hunts. They're almost gone. And that's happened in the last like six years. And for somebody who has grown up doing it and hunting every western state, I mean, I've hunted all of them besides Washington, I think. Um, and. It's, it hurts to see it go, you know, and go so fast. And I think we have some good solutions to those problems by using some of this, you know, traditional type seasons and, and, uh, and hopefully we start going in that direction because all we're going to do is keep limiting our tags more and more and hunting less and less. And bow hunters like to hunt a lot. That's what we yeah. do. It, it seems you know? like a conundrum, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and. I'm purposely moving you guys towards what you initially reached out to me about, about (laughs) setting up this podcast, okay? What you're intonating, which is a conundrum, and here's why I'll call it a conundrum, what you're intonating here is that because we have become more efficient of a hunter, which is actually the goal of hunting, to take that animal in the, the pure definition and pure goal of things as I've described. That is hurting now our opportunity to hunt. Bob? For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it,
2: go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just simple math, right? There's only so many animals and when we become So successful, and we can shoot so far. You're going to get less opportunities to go on the field, so because more animals
1: are being taken.
2: Yeah, what do we do as hunters? You know, I think we're alluding to the long range podcast you did, and he's fine with going hunting once every five or six years, if he, you know, because he can just go blast something and be done, and that's great, you know. But I personally, and I am. Not a know-it-all, I could be 100% wrong, but I personally feel like that we will lose hunting if everybody's hunting once or five or six years. There's no way the youth, you know, there's so many things kids can be in now. If if you can't go every year and you're not staying up on it, it's just going to, you know, all these mule deer foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation... If you're elk hunting once every six years, you think you're going to put a, you know, keep sending your $30 a year to the elk foundation and all these things that keep it going or, you know, supporting blood origins to keep it around when, you know, it's just a week out of every six years. Probably not. And then we start losing it. So I, I mean, obviously the technology's there and a lot of guys like to do that stuff and shoot long range. I got buddies that do it. And I don't think it's going to go away, but we have to understand like, all right, that's, that's fine, but you're only going to get a hunt once every so many years. But let's, let's keep, you know, these primitive areas open for people that can hunt every year and make it harder. You know, there's, it's just a discussion that I think, however we do it, we need to be careful because, you know we want to keep this thing around, which is what, you know, is what your podcast is all about. Keeping yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Tradition alive, And, and especially when you talk about traditions, I mean, like I said, I grew up on the going art, elk camp every year, deer camp. It was my whole family, aunts, uncles, cousins. I mean, I, it was the best 10 days of my life every year. And even, I mean, that's gone. Well, mostly because there's no deer left, you know, in Oregon, especially, but. It's a, it's a shame to lose those traditions, you know.
1: Yeah. So to give you an idea, I so I Bob lives in Oregon. I live in Kansas. We grew up in Oklahoma. Um, I think we can divide the U.S. Let's we're just talking U.S. We can divide it east and west. We have the Mississippi where it's whitetails. Most of those states need to kill as many whitetails as they possibly can. 100%. Right? We have, where I am, out of the central, um, we get a lot of -of out-of-state pressure. More and more and more and more. Um, And if you're an archery hunter, you've dealt with the most of it. When I started bow hunting, uh, we had not legalized crossbows in Oklahoma. Uh, We had around 80,000 bow hunters. Last year, we had 140 some. So we've doubled oh. our numbers, which is incredible because people are experiencing that. Um, but then we double the hunters in Oklahoma are shooting approximately four times the number of white tips. These are approximate numbers. You can find them. I can probably give you the exact numbers. Uh, so, and that's not just crossbows and and compound bows. You have two aspects of this. You have the popularity, because it's easier. And then you have the effectiveness, because your range is extended. And in the case of a crossbow, um man, not having to draw a bow is a huge advantage. You know, any bow would 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 say that's a huge advantage. And the other thing The other thing I wanted to bring up is, um, and maybe talk a little bit about, is the viewability of wildlife to the public. And so in Oklahoma, we have a a hunt, uh, it's at an army ammunition plant, and I've hunted it, and the first time I was there, I realized that these deer act very differently. These deer have been only bow hunted. Used to be compound and traditional, now it's only traditional. But they've only been bow hunted. No other weapons, really, because it's their army ammunition plant. For over 20
2: years, I think, maybe closer to 40. they They've, I think it was early, eight, early or late 80s, I have it somewhere in one of these pictures, that they switched to traditional. So it's been traditional only for 30 years, I think we're safe to say. Yeah, I didn't
1: want to overdo it, but
2: yeah, uh, I'm a middle up. So, um, there are
1: 1,400 hunters that go through this. For, you know, 1,400 tags given out. That's 86. Of, yeah, okay. Um, and then every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they have hunts. And even on the last weekends, you can walk up to a deer and it will not run away when it hits about 70 yards. I had deer scent check me and bolt and then stop at 70 yards and just mill around. And so I think one of the things that we don't, don't talk about and sometimes don't even realize, because rifle hunting is available to some people everywhere, maybe it's limited, maybe it's not, we don't realize that if we only bow hunt animals, you know, those animals, over time, start to develop a new safety bubble, shall we say. Right? And if, if a, a traditional bow hunter can shoot 25 yards ethically, 30 yards maybe. So if 60, 70 yards is with a traditional bow, where that safety bubble is for those deer, the compound bow we can kind of extrapolate and so there's some benefit in both bow hunting and traditional bow hunting where wildlife is more viewable to the boat. that that army munitions example you don't believe that it has to do with the fact that the only people they see are army i would assume this is a private facility fenced off they only see army people driving around every so often that that's just maybe one of the reasons why the deer are so calm i would have thought that um if I was driving around on the roads in the Um, uh, I would have thought that if 1,400 hunters didn't go through there. I mean, it was hard to avoid people. Like, there were a lot of people. You know, you could, you could see people. Like, it's, it's just a lot of people. Um, and, and I've hunted areas where there's a tenth the number of people allowed, but let's just say rifle hunting is allowed. It, it just, it blew my mind because I never even thought about that being a phenomenon. And I do believe it, it probably is. Now, would it work exactly that way? And also we're talking, we're talking a couple, a couple dozen different encounters that all, you know, where, where I'm walking towards deer with my bow. <laughs> Just seeing what they do, you know, in this, in the set checking thing, I had that happen three different times, all of them mature animals and, and that, and then I had a really hard time getting within that, within that 30 yards, mm-hmm. that was tough, you know, mm-hmm. um, so just, what about, what about the, um. I know this was mentioned in that long range podcast, and I'm, I know that I think you, you took offense to it. And I know, well, not I think, I know you did take offense to it. Of the idea that you're not as effective. Yeah, not you get close ethical. to the animal. Not as ethical. Oh, sorry, not as ethical. That's correct. Sorry. Good, good, good change of my, of, of language. That you weren't as ethical because you guys, you, there's just no way to repeat exactly where that bow and arrow, that arrow is going. And as such, the wounding rate on animals, even though you're that close, is high. You want to go, go Michael, ahead, Bob. you want me to go? Okay, go so, ahead, Bob. Um,
2: yeah. So we've had a traditional archery deer hunt in our state for over 20 years. Um, It's in the Trout Creek Mountains. Only traditional bows are allowed there during archery season. And then immediately after, um, you know, five days after, the rifle season starts, and there's 50 to 75 rifle hunters. And it's, I mean, it's wide open country, and every year they come in and blast 40 deer. And I have not heard of one complaint from a rifle hunter in the last 20-something years about a wounded deer, you know, like not a one. So that's pretty good evidence um and then, as far as my own you know anecdotal evidence, like I said, I hunted off and on with a compound for probably the first fifteen years I bow hunted, and then the last fifteen all traditional and and there has been you know honestly, there's been less that's probably more just because I've kind of got away from the redneck side of my family a little more and actually started hunting right and. And, you know, I got older and wiser by the time I, you know, somewhat, and by the time I went all trad. But I just, I just, I, I, just, it, it, I don't want to make a statement that's just completely, you know, nothing to back it up. Um, so I can tell you that's my evidence. And, um, it, you know, any evidence against it, I know McAllister, um, Auburn University did a study. On that McAllister uh, Army Ammunition Plant, and they they did a study of, of the compounds before and the tradbows after, and the the data. I don't remember the numbers, but it was unremarkable. The difference, you know, the wounding loss. It was unremarkable. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, yeah. basically no difference. I don't remember the <laughs> numbers <laughs> for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, And and I believe that's the only real published study. So I mean, I could go on and tell stories about this compound guy and that, you know, but I mean that's. That's just hearsay. So mm-hmm. I don't, I obviously don't agree with him. If you would, if, <laughs> if you want to go down that road and those are the reasons why, you know, like I think Michael's the same way, he, uh, you know, spending so much time out there. Yeah, you don't want to wound an animal. I mean, we, it's hard. I out kind of, you know, I out kind of lot. <laughs> I don't, I get, yeah, I think an average one every three or so years. And I'm, I'm there the whole season usually. Um, and so I think it makes you take better shots. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it does. It's like, you've, you've worked so hard for it. If you blow this one, there might not be another one. So you Mm -hmm. really, really think about each one. And, and we, you know, if you ever meet a traditional bow hunter, like, or I'll just call them a bow hunter. Like they're, They shoot every day. That's all they think about. I mean, they're, they are, you have to, it is an art like shooting a bow and arrow is an art. I mean, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years and, um, it takes a lot of practice and you're, you know, by doing it every day. And now, nowadays I worry about, you know, we've made it, the compounds easier. I mean, I don't think we can argue that not to like, talk down but we have made them easy enough that, that guys don't have to practice as much and i i mean i can tell you i met a guy in arizona on no, kind elk of a few years ago and he killed his bull he was super busy all summer and so he had some whiz bang guy at the pro shop set it up he didn't even have time to shoot it and it he killed a six-point bull and i think it was the, I think it was the fourth shot he had taken out of that bow. He he himself shot it four times. Hmm. So the fourth shot was the time it killed the bull. So he practiced three shots. Um and so I worry, you know, I I have worries about that. And then when you get to the, you know, the long range stuff. And granted, there's plenty of trad guys that shoot too far. I used to do it and I'm guilty, you know, like a, the same stuff, but man, that the shots guys are taken now and and like I said, I'm, I'm in that world too. I know these people, you, you know, you can't, you know, blow smoke because I know them and I know how far they're shooting. Um, you know, I got friends in low places, so you can't, you can't tell me they're not. Um, and you know, so I, that's, that's the other side that's not good. So I, I do think, uh, I mean, is he right? Are you less accurate? Obviously you're less accurate or you would be more successful. I mean, that's why everybody uses a compound, but I do believe that, you know, just the nature of the game by making yourself practice more because it's so hard, keeping your shots limited. And then the nature of the game, taking so much time and effort to get into where you finally get the shot does help. You know, it, it helps a lot to not, you know, fudged the line, whereas he <laughs> you shot your bow five times and you're like, well, you know, where is the line? You don't even know. So you're not really fudging it, you know? So,
1: you yeah, know, and uh, I would, I would say, um, so in, in the long range hunting podcast, um, what was the name of that gentleman? Do you remember Aaron Davidson, Aaron Davidson? Um, so he, he laid a pretty serious, um, Pretty serious uh, accusation. Yeah, accusation. That's the word I was looking for against the traditional bow hunting community, but also the bow hunting community as a whole. So my wife shoots a compound. I'm happy with her shooting a compound. She shoots 45 pounds. She's extremely ethical with that compound. And so for right now, you know that's that's what she hunts with. Now she shoots a traditional bow also, but. I think it's really dangerous for I I was just astounded that he that he went that far and laid that accusation on bow hunting because he is literally taking animals at ranges that it's hard to even decipher if he's hitting them. You know, and I'm sure he does an excellent job of that. Um, But I'll give you an example. We go problem hunting. Me and my wife. She stalks within 130 yards of this buck. We practice with the rifle. She'll never listen to this, so... (laughs) Thank God. He's pretty competitive. And she's good at anything she does. So, we stalked 130 yards. we would already been on... A stock, and she got to about two hundred or two two fifty. Maybe wasn't comfortable. I just said, "Let's. We can get within one hundred and fifty. Let's just get there. I know we can do it." So we had some, you know, some Elmer Fudd moments on the on the second stock, <laughs> uh, mostly due to me because I didn't I didn't have a gun chamber. And I was trying to be extra safe. So a bullet oh, chamber. Oh. You can't can't you can't chamber a gun. Right. Right. You know I mean, yeah. there's not a yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're just... a trad bow guy, so I have to give <laughs> yeah. you, like, the... the, the, the so, the... anyway. the lingo. Yeah. So, third stock, we get to 130 yards. She shoots. I can't even tell if she's hit the animal. I'm looking at it with my 10-power Swarovskis at 130 yards. I don't even and know you if You couldn't she's... tell that the animal was hit or not? Not for sure. Come on, Mike. Okay, well, I'm a bow hunter. Right? <laughs> uh, no, you got to fix those eyes, man. Those eyes are used to like 30 yards <laughs> instead of 130. Uh, So, well, like, maybe I should have been using Bushnell, right? No, <laughs> Bushnell or any, any binos. You just need good eyes. <laughs> so, I can't see that I've shot this animal, but I've got 20 years of experience. I know she shot this animal. Right? Why? Because I understand. Animal reactions is I had to right because I got to watch my arrow hit and see exactly how the animal acted. So my wife's like, "Did I hit it?" I'm like, "Yes, you hit it." She looks through it through the scope. She's like, I, "I don't see a hole. It's still walking." Okay. So I'm like, "No, no, no, you hit it. It beds down." So she's freaking out because she doesn't know if she's hit it. Okay. Now, she's going off my judgment, but how many hunters wouldn't know if they shot an animal? Don't know if they've hit an animal, and I've seen this happen, and it can happen with any equipment. But there's oh, for sure, it can happen with any equipment. Absolutely, and so you know, I'm not going to go say that a rifle is less ethical because you know, you can shoot 800 yards and maybe you didn't get to the right spot in the canyon and you can't find blood. You know, you know how many times, if you talk to guides, how many times guys will say you know, when they shoot at those ranges they'll say, yeah, people I come up on animals that were like perfect shots and nobody's there and nobody shows hey. up you know and so, that, but I'm not going to say that rifle hunting is unethical, but he said that traditional bow hunting was less ethical. So that really bothered me. <laughs> and it's important yeah, to that. That play those games as hunters.
2: Yeah. And that's where I, like, you know, hundreds, I, we, we can't I, play. I those. can sit here and throw stones at the long range guys, but man, you know, we, we are all in this together. We're all hunters we want to keep this thing around and man I just i I, I don't you know even though I'm a track guy it's like i I know guys do it do I do I think it's you know like if if you ask me personally like do I think shooting an animal at a thousand yards is hunting you know I think I think you're drawing some there's some wavy lines in the sand there as is you know like what's the definition of actually hunting something and shooting something um and we got to be but but that's something i think we as hunters which we don't do this we need to have discussions about these things and come up with some solutions instead of you know i think a lot of times we we if if you have anything to say about it you're just a hater and you're getting blah you know if, if you have any criticism you're a hater and even if you're you're trying to do it in the right way like hey you know what's this going to do for our future i can i can tell you from you know i i have a job where i i i'm a firefighter so i i mean i i work in a very liberal city and i work with very diverse crews and i get to watch tv as part of my job sometimes while i'm cooking dinner <laughs> for the crew or whatever and um and I mean, every every walk of the earth I've worked with, and I'm usually, when I'm cooking, I usually, what do I like to watch? You know, i got the YouTube or hunting show on. And I can tell you, you can take somebody off the, you know, that has not been around hunting at all and and put a show like that on and they are appalled. Absolutely appalled. Whether it's, you know, you know, the, the macho, you know, compound guy or the long range this or that I like they're just like that's hunting you know like so we need to be really careful which we're not about you know like that that that's the kind of stuff we got to watch out for and so it's hard to not throw stones when nobody's talking about it you know so you kind of you kind of have to rile it up a little bit or nobody even talks about it so. You know, what, what's, what's the future look like? That's what I always ask myself, you know, like, where are we going to be at in 20 years? If, if we don't do something now with, in my opinion, with technology in, in across all seasons, I'm a bow hunter, but and that's where I spend most of my time. Cause that's all the time I have, but you know, muzzle loaders, rifles, um, if we just keep Keep the cork off and let it flow. Where are we going to be in twenty years? Right now, there's 32 states that allow crossbows during archery season. We have airbows trying to get into I don't know how many states. We have compounds that you know have the, there's no let off rule anymore. I don't even know. I literally hold like shoot a hundred pound compounds hold five pounds. I don't know. It's like man, that's nothing. So like we have all these rules and. I hope that we as sportsmen and women start looking at it as like, man, yeah, it's great that I can do this and shoot this far. But by doing that, I'm cutting my hunting way down. You know, I only get a hunt once every five years. And if we can implement some of these um, seasons, we've done it in Oregon. Hopefully, Utah passed some restricted weapons definitions last year. Hopefully, we start, you know, looking at these areas and trying to cut back on that stuff a little bit otherwise you know i i can tell you from experience like i used to be able to draw a nevada archery deer tag every other year 20 years ago as a non-resident and now the last one i drew for the same area took me nine years (laughs) so in 20 years you know another 20 years that was 20 years ago and another 20 years it'll take me 20 years so but that's... you
1: can't, Bob, you cannot say that that Nevada example is all because of technology in hunting. No. Mm-hmm. Um, your, yeah. Your, I... your slide. So I wanted to add. Here, let me,
2: one, one second, Michael. Let me give I got some numbers here. Just oh, while we And
1: has... on the ethics thing. Yeah, go ahead. So I differ from Bob a little bit. I think that bow hunting has a slightly higher risk of wound rate. Probably very slight, but a slightly higher risk. And not only that, we have this thing hanging out of the animal called the arrow sometimes. And so we have this visual cue that in cases of wounding can be very easily sensationalized. Right? And so now is yeah, It very much is sensationalized. And we're going to see more and more of that. So I look to the future like Bob said, what's the future? I see I see anti-hunters coming after bow hunting big time in the future. Well, it's happening in Australia. That's yeah. the thing that they're targeting yeah. Yeah. because yeah. of the the bad imagery associated with it. Yep. Um, just like they've come after other things. And I see no safety net. I see no personal responsibility to placing an ethical shot in our entire nation. We don't even know what the wounding rates are because we have no way of reporting it and it doesn't make a difference if you do or not as far as how much you hunt, when you hunt, and how many animals you take. And so we have a real problem in this entire country over the next 50 years when we start to fight this battle. And we need we need pictures of, of arrows hanging out of animals to stop now, so we don't have them as many of them in fifty years because they're going to you know they're still using. Do you see the the, uh, the uh, RSPC? Is that what it is? The humane, no. of, of humane society, humane yeah. society of Australia, RSPCA using, in Australia. Yes, they're, they're using an image that I think is over forty years old of a of a, of a poor deer. That was shot horribly. Um, and the, the backstory on that, I have heard, is that that deer actually survived, which it would not have if it were shot in the same place with a rifle um, and probably would have been wounded as well. But my point is at some point, I think we're going to have to, as bow hunters, have a draw blood punch tag policy. It is going to be required of us to do that if we're going to have Bohani in 50 years. Uh Uh And we need to work towards that. Uh And people say, well, how do you enforce that? You know what? Just like you enforce all of the other laws that are hard to enforce. 80% of people follow them. 20% of people follow them, or, you know, 15% of people follow most of the time. 5% of people don't care, right? Eventually they get caught. So, I think it's really important that we work that way as a bow hunting community, especially. <laughs> and and especially- well, back back to the Nevada yeah. comments. Yeah. Um, so
2: I got some numbers that let me, well, and, so and- I'll give you an example. This is an example. These are the Arizona archery deer, the draw unit. And there's Arizona used to be similar to kind of like Oregon, you know, most of it's over the counter, but they have, I don't, I, I don't know the number, 8 or 10 draw units, so enough to be a good sample size. And this is from 2008 to 2017. So in 2008, there were 1,912 permits issued. And they try to kill, you know, from their management, they're trying to kill around, you know, in the 200s, 200-something bucks. To, you know, that's kind of their management through all those units. So. In 19 or in 2008, 1,607 bow hunters were able to hunt. They killed 225 bucks. That's a 14% success rate. So every year they had to keep dropping tags to keep, it, keep their management up. So in 2017, it went from 1,607 hunters down to 630, and they killed. Two hundred and seventy-seven bucks. That's the difference between a fourteen and a forty-four percent success rate, and that happened from two thousand eight to two thousand seventeen. And you can just see the numbers climb of deer getting harvested and the tags dropping. So that's happening everywhere in bow hunting right now. I mean, that's just a little snippet, and that was two thousand seventeen. That was that was six years ago. So. Um, that's not good. You know, you, you, you could have 1,600 people in there hunting every year with 14% success. Instead, you're, you're, you're only able to have 630 guys in there, and they're still killing too many deer. Um, and that's why Oregon had to go to all of our uh, Eastern Oregon elk units are controlled now because of over, well, most of them, all the ones with elk in them pretty much. Because of overcrowding and overharvest, And I was, you know, I was part of all those meetings, Colorado's slowly ticking out all their units, Idaho's got this first come first serve stuff. And, and so it's, it's a, it's a problem that I think we need to. For archery
1: yeah. five years. Yeah.
2: And so, like I said, if it's, if it's gone that way, that's not even a snapshot of the last 20 years. And so if, if it continues the trajectory for the next 20 years, um, the controlled hunts in Utah, so Utah Utah has like eight limited entry archery deer hunts. And they're good hunts, I'm not going not gonna to lie, but the success rate on their limited entry deer hunts is over 60% if you, if you take all of them. So 60% of the hunters are killing deer. And Um, I was listening to all the rack meetings in Utah last year because they were voting on those restricted archery definitions. And in the central part of the state, they lobbied, the bow hunters lobbied, and they got a mountain goat hunt. They got some tags, archery tags for mountain goat. And they said, look, we'll be able to have a few more hunters on the mountain. And there was serious talk in that meeting from the biologists about getting rid of those tags because they're killing just as many goats as the rifle hunter. And so in the, in the same, in the same meetings, you got guys arguing that we don't need these restricted weapon hunts because bow hunting's hard. And then later in the meeting, they're saying, we still need these tags for these mountain goats, even though our success rates, the same as the rifle, you know? Um, and I feel like, and right then, that's just a little example of what'll happen when we get to that point is our archery season will just go away. They're going to say, this just like they were trying with that mountain gun hunt, they said, well, you can hunt with a bow with the, any, you know, because any legal weapon tag, that the general hunts, they're not technically rifle hunts. I think in all the states now, you can hunt with a bow during the rifle season, so that's all they're going to do. They're going to say, well, we'll just switch them switch back, and there went bow hunting, which is really hard for me. Cause- yeah,
1: the, re- the reason I say that is this, is, number one, Obviously, climate and changes in ecosystem and whatnot do play a factor in population, right? Um, oh, for sure. So, to me, for there's sure. an element there. The other element that—oh, shit, the thing just went out my fucking brain. But
2: I can tell you that that, that area in Nevada I was applying for in, in 2005, they gave almost the same amount of non-resident tags that they, they do now. Um it's always been pretty low, pretty low deer numbers.
1: Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to say is this. It just came back into my brain. It came into my brain. Is that and somebody brought this up to me on another podcast? And I was like, man, that is it was actually with a guide. Today's hunter. As opposed to 20 years ago. So I and I'll use my dad as a reference. Your dad as a reference. Today's hunter. Michael, you're a today hunter. Bob, you're a today hunter. Is hunting is a part of their life every single day. They are more competent today, both physically, both mentally, both understanding the landscape, understanding animal behaviors. YouTube University is a great thing. Google University is a great thing. My dad younger versions of us 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that wasn't available. And so to me, that that hard ray of characteristics is making better hunters, more effective, efficient, ethical hunters. So the the, the deer harvest rate may be 60%, but it may be 60% with a trad bow hunter as well in 20, in 20 years, because people are just going to be like, all right, I'll just switch and just, I know what I'm doing.
2: And it just goes up and up and up and up. Yeah. Doubtful doubtful. But, but I, I get what you're saying, Robbie. And we, when you look back at like Idaho's, uh, they did a really good graph in their 2014 elk management plan. They started with, you know, they kept data all the way back to the eighties on, on archery, muzzleloader, and rifle, general season. And the general, the, the rifle was like 20 some percent, you know, it was just kind of like, do, do, do. and then the muzzleloader and archery just climbed up to where they met each other in 2014. But in 1980 or whatever, whenever they started that data, the archery success rate was 3%. And you're 100% correct. I mean, we have Onyx and Rangefinders and sweet trucks and side-by-sides, you know, like, that stuff's not going to go away. But we, that's where, I, I feel like that's a complete cop-out to say because that's what everybody says. They're just like, well, you can't control it, so let's just let it rip, you know? Like, no. We have to have these discussions. What can we control? We're not going to get rid of rangefinders. I'd love to. We're not going to do it. They're in binoculars, they're in they're, they're in scopes. I mean, they're in everything. You now can't, You can't get rid of rangefinders. You can't get rid of trucks. You can't, you know, so where can we as hunters look at this and say, if we don't control this, we are going to go out of control. What can we control? Well, we definitely can make uh, bow hunting like it used to be and make primitive archery seasons. We can definitely, I think Utah did an incredible job last year. They put together a technology committee. And those guys came up with restricted weapons definitions to hopefully be used in the future of, you know, a a traditional bow, which was, was fought hard by the, you know, a lot of compound guys, which is hard to see. It's like, man, we're trying to bring more opportunity. And then, you know, um, traditional muzzleloaders and then iron sight rifles. Like these are things like we can do instead of looking at it as there's nothing we can do about it. We'll just let it roll. We have, to, we have to come up with a solution or it's gone, and that's unacceptable to me as a hunter. It's just completely unacceptable. So hopefully,
1: we can. So hopefully that'll happen, right? I, I would add that uh, going back to valuing the animal's abilities uh, and habits and senses, Part of this problem is compounded by species. So, some species are more easily affected by range effectiveness than others. I'll give you two examples. Well, three. Havelina. I've hunted Havelina. They say, well, if you shoot one with a rifle, it's not much. Havelinas don't have long range um, hearing, smell, or, well, probably smell, but, or sight. And, you know, they would be an example, maybe an extreme example, of an animal that is really hurt when you can shoot it from even just 100 yards, as far as how effective you can be and how little those animal senses matter in the situation. Yep, good um, example. A less extreme example, but I think probably the, the best example of this, is the North American mule deer. Um, I would put pronghorn in the same in a very similar predicament, maybe to a lesser extent, where it's just the range effectiveness. That's all it is making the difference. Um, so I've hunted mule deer. I've had, had four or five different mule deer tags in uh, now three different states. I threw a Utah tag in the, in the worst wear kill that area that they had. I didn't go. I just ate my tag. Uh, that was my biological decision on that. Um, had to do it time also. So it wasn't complex. <laughs>
2: makes it sound better when you say that. You're like, yeah, i doing, doing the that, right thing. Doing
1: <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, you know, it, it made it, yeah. So I didn't go. Uh, but I've had a Colorado, New Mexico, uh, Western Kansas where you can shoot mule deer. I've been within 100 yards of. more mule deer than I could count. I've been within 70 yards, which a good shot with a compound is very much effective at 60 yards. E- even just a mediocre shot is effective at 50 to 60 yards with a range finder and some practice. Um, 70 yards for, for someone that really practices and knows their stuff, that, that can be an ethical shot, even 80 or 90, potentially. I've been within 60 to 70 yards of dozens of mule deer. I've been within 40 yards of probably a dozen mule deer. I've been within 30 yards of three mule deer. I've been within 20 yards of one. And so mule deer specifically, and that's why Bob keeps bringing up the numbers there, they're one of those species that we really need to look at this for. I would say pronghorn as well. And it doesn't help that we just had terrible die off. Right? Yeah. Maybe maybe feral hogs, we never need to look into this for in the
2: Southeast (laughs) or or land carp, whitetails. Yeah. And Colorado is an example. I believe, let me look on this, but 30 of their units. Is it 40% success? Yep, 40% success. They have 30 of their hunt management units have over, for deer, have over a 40% archery success rate.
1: And the reason is, you know, mule deer have adapted for eons of time against yeah. their main predator, which is mountain lions. Adult mule deer, yeah. that's their main predator. And how does a mountain lion hunt? It gets within 60 yards and then it goes. Right, and so it used to be that mule deer, and you talk to old timers, they they would call it. They have a they have a woof zone, is what one, one guy called it. Um, basically, that that evolutionary bubble of a mule deer is much smaller because of their adaptations to to specifically mountain lion predation, um, and now they don't have that same woof zone, <laughs> but. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let- look, gentlemen. You know, you wanted to come on here and state your case <laughs> <laughs> for Trad Bowes, and you have. You've had. You, you, you've stated it in a way to say, you know, there's lots of there's lots of different ideas around saving hunting. Okay, and. From your perspective, it's not like a saving hunting narrative PR perspective, which is what we address hunting through, right? Our lens. You're like, hey, we're hunters that are recognizing that we like to hunt, and the opportunity to hunt is diminishing, and there is a solution here in our eyes, which is switch. Some units, some areas, some tags, some seasons to a trad bow only mechanism or by a, which or a lot percussion rifle or a rifle without a scope. Go ahead, Bill, sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're right. And and such for with the exact goal correct me if I'm wrong with the exact goal of reducing the percentage chance of harvest of that animal. Yes, sir. Head nods all around. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. And I would say, while we're battling for the heritage of hunting together, with differing views, that's okay. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right. (laughs) there is an aspect of value in both the heritage, whether it's heritage of the fur trappers came across the West and trapped, or the heritage of the the, the riflemen that came and, oops, shot all the buffalo, uh, or <laughs> but reformed and later saved the buffalo, right? Um, or it's the tradition handed down each of us, no matter what, no matter what our ancestry of archery and bow hunting, we've had both archery and bow hunting for I think 12,000 years. They estimate
2: they argue, over yeah, it, they, but... they used to say 5,000, and I think they found some cave paintings that were 15 to 30,000 or something recently that were really surprising to them, supposed to their carbon dating, you know, I don't know how accurate that is, but for sure, that the tradition that the you know i i know things are never going to be like they were and we can't you know live in the past but there's there's something so incredibly pure and it's gonna sound nerdy but you know carrying a bow out in the woods is just like there is just nothing like it for me i don't know what it is and i think it's it's just Thousands and thousands of years, you know, like there's so many things that have changed in the last 200 years. You know, you think about the continent we live on. You know, especially if you have some Native American ancestry, and it's like we have changed from that to this in such a short amount of time that it messes us up. Some of us really have a hard time with it, and that's why we're we're trying to get out in the woods all the time and to get rid of that. Ooh, that's that's. Not, not good, I don't think, you know. Yeah. Well, look. This, the,
1: can I, go um, ahead, Mike? I know we're going long. Um, <laughs> I think we need to think about what natural hunting is also. Um, because it is, in the grand scheme of evolution, we have these mule deer that have adapted to mountain lions. You know, we have other species that have adapted. These species have not adapted to be hunted eight hundred yards, maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. <laughs>
2: okay. Then, then, like you said, we'll never see them.
1: <laughs> yeah. But also, never, ne- never in the in in the history of the world have all of the whitetail or half of the whitetail been harvested within a two week period during yeah. the season And so yeah. now we're yeah. fighting these these new diseases like chronic wasting disease um and our enemies are used they're starting to use science bad science albeit against us you know how are we thinking scientifically about how we're affecting the evolutionary process you know and maybe we should think about that a little bit well let's not (laughs) think about on this podcast because you're (laughs) about to open up a can of worms that will last another hour and a half um Listen, I'm I'll right. say this, and, I, and I'm, I probably speak for a lot of people, and I apologize, the puppy has just arrived that is now tormenting the hunting dog, so you may hear some <laughs> some growling and whatnot. Um, I, I have been inspired in this podcast to be like, man, maybe I should try and get a trad bow and pull it back and, you know, get what these guys get. I, I get it, right? Stop, Stop. I get it. But I'm also a very, very still, and unbelievably people know this that follow the podcast, I'm still a very new hunter, you know? And I am, I'm not afraid to say it, I want success. Yes. And I want, I want, you know, I'm spending a lot of money, I'm going to places, I'm okay eating tags. I've eaten a lot of tags, expensive tags, (laughs) but I also want success. And so the idea of trad bow, taking a trad bow hunting, you've just got to change your mindset that that is not, yes, the goal is success, but you are going into the endeavor by saying, there's something else to this. And I'd say the same to to bow hunting as a whole. So bow hunting as a whole is is that way. Well, dudes, thank you so much. we should do it again on another controversial topic. Michael always tends to email me when something <laughs> controversial comes up and goes, Hey, I think I want to say something. I like, All right, Mike, <laughs> let's go. Let's get you on the podcast. Uh, you need to. A- yeah. I think too much. All right, gentlemen. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Ravi. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends. And most importantly, Do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.